It's been a weird winter. A weird one. Let's go to John uh, 7, starting with verse 37. The parameters of my message this morning are shorter than listed in the bulletin. The reason that happens is not because I'm disorganized. Somebody asked me the other day. They said, uh, after all these years, they're long years, does it get faster? And I said, no, it doesn't. They were surprised when I said, and some of the guys who try to come to my office and talk to me Sunday morning know this, I'm working right up to the minute, always. And as I do it, things kind of get bigger and bigger. So uh, by the time I get to Sunday, I can't digest the whole text. So we're John 7, verses 39 through 37, a powerful a powerful section. So let me read. I'm using a different uh, Bible, an NIV. So verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, called by the Jews the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the, scriptures, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water shall flow from within them. Then Jesus interprets that, or John does. By this, Jesus meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit whom those who had believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Let me ask you something. How many of you have ever wondered, I'm not asking for a hand, you've ever wondered, what is the difference between the ministry of the Holy Spirit under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament period, and the New Testament period, the church. I bet that most of you could probably not explain that. And unfortunately, it's not, it's only rarely explained. So I don't like to run past things like that. So I'm going to answer that question. I've studied it, and I think I've got it nailed down. And I want to share that with you this morning as well as what goes before. I want you to look, if you have not already, at your bulletin and your word from the pastor, which is really the introduction to this message. You don't have to read if you don't have your bulletin handy. Just listen. Watch all around you. What do you see? I see a cultural landscape littered with dry and desperate, racked and ruined souls, scampering about restlessly in this way and that. That's what I see. Chasing vain dreams, foolish ambitions, and unfulfilling activities and transactions. I see people frantically trying in their chronic despair 
to find at the end of the rainbow something or someone that just might finally quench their thirsty souls in one form of excess or another, all ultimately to no avail. Now that sentence is a 17th century sentence in terms of length. That's worthy of John Owens. We do them a little shorter these days, but I didn't. Like scurrying ants, at any given time, what I see are people who long to be somewhere but where they are. Run, 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 run. That's what I see. With a God-sized vacuum at the center of their souls, they run, they play, they spend, only to start over tomorrow with their parched souls as withered and unsatisfied as before. That's what I see. Why? They insist on looking in all the wrong places. The answer, capital A, is the last place people usually look or want to look. Coming to and drinking from the everlasting rock, the water of life, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Otherwise, life is just a hopeless human effort to escape the inescapable, the penalty of sin, the penalty of rebellion, with all of its hellish terrors. Now, here at my long trail, that's what I see as I look out there into the world. Nothing could be more appropriate than what Jesus says right here because the people in his time, another time they wore different dress, spoke different language, but it's still basically the same thing. And so he speaks to them. Well, let me give you the historical background of this business of come and drink. On the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and he cried out. There were no microphones in those days, so he had to raise his voice and throw it like a basketball way out there the back of the big crowd. There was a multitude. If any man, any person is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I tie right in with the Feast of Tabernacles, as we will see. This annual feast commemorated Israel's hardships and God's provisions for food and water back in the days when they were wandering through that terrible wilderness. This was before the nation entered into the blessings of the promised land. Its celebration was accompanied by a recital of Isaiah 12.3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. That was a prophetic anticipation of the blessings of the Messiah of redeemed Israel. Daily at this feast there was a procession of priests from the pool of Siloam to draw water and carry it back to the temple area where it was poured out as a libation at the altar. This act memorialized something 
and memorialized the water that in the time of Moses, when everybody was just famished for lack thereof of water, that God provided through Moses from the rock in the wilderness to sustain a thirsty nation with physical water. That water, which only supported physical life and could not sustain it, was merely a physical symbol of the true water of life that would be found in the Messiah, in the Savior, Jesus. Now Jesus promises what he promises is launched from a platform of that symbolic act. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his inmost being shall flow waters, rivers of living water. Well, let's talk about that. In conjunction with this symbolism, so familiar to all the pilgrims at this great feast, Jesus announces the fulfillment of the type or symbol in his own person. Just as in the burning wilderness, the physical lives of individual Israelites were saved, by supernatural provision of water gushing from a physical rock. So it is, Jesus cries out, that God has now made supernatural provision to this day for the salvation of our souls, for spiritual lives. Let's read that again. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty, is that you? Come to me and drink. Well, anybody here? Is that the state of your soul? That's not likely to be too many. Most of you sitting in this congregation this morning, you have done that. You've come to Jesus at some point. Come to him in faith. But there may be some here, and there always are, who have not done that. Some of them, I hate to say, are more regular than some of you. <laughs> Go figure. But they're here. As one man told me when I talked to him out there in the narthex one day, he's here, we've got a very close relationship. And I said to him, I don't know whether it's here this morning or not. I said to him, so-and-so, you need to act or you're going to go to hell. Oh, Jim, he said kindly, you know me. I'm a totally secular person. Well, that doesn't make any difference. <laughs> what Jesus said is still true. That emptiness of soul that drives people who do not know or follow Jesus Christ and have no knowledge of the true and living God is a barrenness in the inner man. If you don't know him, it's there. Only Christ can satisfy it. 
Spiritual thirst I will define as a fundamental or core lack of inward satisfaction in your life for the relief of which there is no temporal solution or remedy. I've got a little analogy for that. It used to be years ago, I'll probably die sooner rather than later because of it. I didn't drink water, didn't like water. I drank Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and if it wasn't available, something else. Oh, hot playing basketball and, you know, touch football with the teams. Felt so good, so relieved. Only one problem. The relief didn't last but just a few moments. And then what I really needed was water, so I went back to Dr. Pepper. It just wouldn't satisfy for long. And that's the way life is. We're unsatisfied. We're thirsty. We're looking for something that we can't find. So we go looking for a relationship with somebody. Which probably won't end well. Or we decide to go buy a new car, a new truck. Or we're dissatisfied with our house. And we decide to get another house. Or we get the travel bug and we decide we want to go. There's nothing evil about that, but I'm just talking about we're restless. I tell Aussie all the time, I've never seen anything like it. People are just so restless. They want to be anywhere but where they are. They just can't park. Just can't come home and sit down and enjoy it. Got to go. Got to go. Now, everybody needs to go once in a while. Aussie needs to go and get away, get away from me once in a while. <laughs> so everybody does need to go once in a while. But, I mean, with some people, it's just, it's just restless, like ants. Got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go. It's just a symptom of the dryness of our souls. And some of you are probably sitting there and you're in the grip of that. And you're looking this way, you're looking that way, some other way. Running, buying, selling, doing whatever, because you're empty. You're running on empty. And that's not going to change. You're not going to find him or her or there or here or that or this. You're not going to find it. Your soul is dry thirsty and parched. You want something that you have not yet caught up with. And you think it's here or there or this or that. It's not. And that'll be, that'll be there until the day you pass. I'm telling you that. You need to understand that. Jesus is telling us where the answer is. He says, come unto me, all you that are thirsty. He'll give you water, living water, like a river that just boils up in the soul. It will satisfy you at last. Now let's just stop a moment with a little reality check. 
anybody that knows me knows I just can't stand it when people don't live in reality. Hey, I once in a while have those I want a moments. I have times when your pastor, when I'm restless, not for long, but just a little restless, want to do this or want to do that, those sorts of things like everybody else, and you do too. But I'm talking about something that is chronic. It's there. You just can't satisfy it. You cannot fill that hole that is in the middle of your soul. And as St. Augustine said, you will always be restless until you find your rest in him. Always. Well, Jim, how do we know? How do we know that he has filled our soul? I mean, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I have, I have that too. What's the difference between that and the kind of whole restlessness that the underbeliever feels? Well, that's pretty simple to me. I hope this will help you. I have Christ. Most of you, I'm persuaded, you have Christ. You've come to him in faith, in trust. You've come to him. Well, what is it that this world could give me? Let's say I have cancer. Now, there's a biggie. I've got cancer, let's say. I'm, I didn't say I had it. I may have it, and if I do, it's probably in the brain. I'm not saying I do, but the doctors told me, let's say hypothetically, that I've got cancer, and the prognosis is not the best. Well, we all love our health. I love mine. And so we, we're down. It's hard to sleep at night. We're restless. We've got to battle this thing, the stuff we've got to go through. But you have Christ. Would you trade knowing Christ for the medical report that your cancer is no longer there? No way. And I can see some of you. No way. You'd rather go to the grave with cancer than without Christ. That is a report from the Spirit of God of how Jesus Christ satisfies. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You've got marriage problems. Maybe it's the husband, maybe it's the wife that has kind of pulled up the stakes. Oh, if you could just find that you could be reconciled, you with him, him with her, and all would be cool and copacetic again. It'd all be great. But you'd have to shed Christ for that to happen. Would you do it? No. I've seen people who do it, but not a believer, not a real believer. You wouldn't do that. 
you have found that which ultimately satisfies. It doesn't mean that everything, every day is right at all four corners. Because in this world, we will have persecution. We will have troubles, Jesus told us. John 16 will come to that. We will. And we'd like to be rid of them, but not at the price of losing Christ. Because he is the drink that satisfies. The spiritual drink. Well, he says, come to me. Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. Now, I'm saying this to you. I'm preaching to the choir, but some of you in the choir need to hear these things. And then there's another thing. There are a lot of people, I'm saying these things, preaching to the choir, so to speak, because in our churches, there are a lot of people sitting there comfortably in our churches who really don't know Jesus. They know the church. Sing in the choir, serve on the committees. It's, I've seen it happen a lot. I didn't know him. I want you to listen. Probably doesn't apply to anyone here, then it may. And then you may need to share this with somebody else. Explain this. So that's why I'm wanting to go over this. Jesus says, come. I mean, you got to do something. He has come to save you from your sins. He has come to die on a Roman cross to be an atoning sacrifice. The next move is yours. You cannot sit there passively, just go through life, just waiting for God to do something. God has done something. He has sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world that if you believe in him, you trust in him, you will be saved and not perish. Otherwise, you will perish everlastingly. You've got to act. You've got to come, get up, do something. Come to him. Say, Lord, like that song, Jesus, I come, I come to thee. You've got to come and drink. What does it mean to drink? It's a figure of speech. You've got to come and embrace him as the water of life and just drink deeply. Claim him as your savior. Claim him for what he is as your Lord. It's that simple. Ossie and I got married on a day. Like you got married, most of you on a day. Others of you are headed that way. But there, I had to come to her. She had to come to me. And I had to say, I do. The pastor made her say, I do too. She's regretted it ever since. <laughs> but that's what we got to do. We, we just can't sit there and wait for something to happen. We got to get married. You got to get married to Jesus Christ. You got to come. And you've got to drink. You've got to embrace him, surrender to him. That's what faith means. You trust him. You embrace him. You surrender to him as your Savior and Lord. What's he say again? If anyone is thirsty, do you recognize your thirst? Do you recognize your emptiness? Are you not in denial? Then get up and come to him and drink freely. Just embrace him for what he is. 
and your thirst will be satisfied. You cannot, you cannot be passive. Translated, that metaphor means believe in me. I want you to notice that word whoever. You are whoever. I am whoever. It's not just Jews. doesn't matter whether you're red, yellow, black, or white, or candy stripe. At the core of your soul, you're empty. And that emptiness will never be satisfied without coming to him in a figure and drinking, surrendering to him, trusting in him. There are no limitations on who may partake than the obvious. To receive him, you come and drink. Well, John does not leave in verse 39 the Lord's metaphor to chance, but immediately he hastens in concrete terms to identify what phenomenon the Lord was talking about. This he said concerning the Holy Spirit, which those who believe in him were about to receive. The Old Testament prophets had anticipated a day when the Spirit of God would be poured out on God's people. When the Spirit of God is poured out upon you and me, that is the Lord Jesus being poured out upon you and me. It's a wonderful thing. Jesus was going back to be with his Father. In his place, he would send his Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would come and be received. Joel chapter 2 verse 28 said, It shall come about that after this I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind. And that happened on the day of Pentecost. Jesus said, When I go, it's to your advantage that I go because I'm going to send my Spirit. And His Spirit would be poured out on us. And it was on the day of Pentecost, but not just on us. There was something different. As he says here, John does, in verse 39, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Then John adds something. Up to that time, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified, that is, returned to heaven, to stand at the right hand of the Father. So let's talk about this. When the text says the Spirit was not yet, we are not to understand that the Holy Spirit did not exist, nor that the Spirit was up to now an inactive member of the Trinity. That's not what it means. With this statement, he means that the Holy Spirit was not present among them in the fullness and the scope that he would be. So let me explain all of this. What's the difference between the way the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament and the way he's active now? 
So let me make a contrast. The difference between the two. Under the old covenant, the spirit was among, that's an important word, among the people of Israel, the Holy Spirit was not in them. He did not indwell them. Under the new covenant, which started on the day of Pentecost, under the new covenant, the spirit resides in, resides in is not among. The Holy Spirit is among us this morning, but it's more than that. The Holy Spirit resides in every single member of the church, not little c. We're a local church. The Holy Spirit does not reside in every single member of a local church. The Holy Spirit resides in every single member of the church, capital C. The church consists of all true believers in every generation. In the Old Testament period, the Spirit came upon a few of those people like the prophets and some of the kings in different measures for different purposes. Let's take Samson going out of the city and picking up the gate of a city of the Philistines and throwing it aside like a rubber ball. That was what the Spirit of God could do, could still do if he wanted to do it that way. Under the new covenant, the Holy Spirit resides in all believers and endows each one of us who are genuine believers endows each one of us to exercise different divine functions for the benefit of the whole body. Every one of you, if you know Christ, you're endowed with, you're occupied by the Holy Spirit. He lives within you, and you have some endowment, some ability you may not even recognize. I don't think it's necessary that you recognize you have some endowment that makes you special. And when you come into this body or any other body, you bring that endowment with you. And you benefit, you grow the body because of it. <laughs> you look around you, and some of it is necessary, some of it is totally unnecessary. Do you see empty seats? Those are endowments of the Holy Spirit that are missing in action today that could be helping and building up others. Some of you have no idea. You don't know it's the Spirit, but you've got some endowment of the Holy Spirit permanently, and you don't know what you contribute to the life of the body. My goodness. Just yesterday, I got a, an email from a young man that I had in Bible college 51 years ago. Said, I hear you're going to be speaking at the alumni function in Denver. 
And I, it just reminded me I wanted to call you or write you and tell you how much your ministry meant to me over the years. That lifted me. I was down. Some of you people do things and say things. You don't think they're big things. But some of you do things like that all the time to me and to others. And you lift spirits. Nobody ever told my dad that he had a gift of exhortation. Nobody ever told my father, Jim Andrews, also. Jim, you have a gift of exhortation. Oh, I do? Well, I think I need to go out and find some people to exhort. <laughs> it was never that way. But it was when he took his son into the bedroom and picked up the Bible and said, Now, bud, I need to explain a few things to you. <laughs> Shut up, Dad. I don't, I don't want to hear it. But I heard it anyway. And I still hear it today. Some of you do things like that. Some of you are so kind. Some of you reach out to others like nothing. You just do it. You do it spontaneously. What's happening? That's the Spirit of God active in you, moving, motivating, stirring up your spirit to do or to say or to be that kind of person. And when you're missing, it's missing. That's why Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. Ah, oh, nobody will miss me. Oh, yes, the work misses you. We're like a body. We're put together. And so there are influences that contribute to the well-being of the body. That's the difference between the New Testament, one difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament activity of the Holy Spirit. Never discount that. You have something that you may not even be aware of, but the way you're put together, the way you're wired by Christ, He is in you in the form of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And when you're here and when you're in operating shape, talk about that in a minute, you make a difference. I could go around this body and start pointing fingers and tell you how this person, that person, that person, I happen to know as a pastor, you make a difference. You make a doggone big difference and you don't realize it. Sometimes people are still standing, walking, and moving in Christ because of you and you don't even know it. Wonderful thing. Well, under the old covenant, the spirit regenerated a remnant of the people of God. Here was Israel, a great nation. Israel, formerly Israel, like people formerly belonging to a local church. Under the new covenant, the Spirit regenerates all members of the body of Christ, the church. Every single per person in the church, capital C. That organic spiritual entity that we call the church in every generation. 
Every single one of them is born again. They're new creatures in Christ. Every single one. There's not an exception. Never has been. And all of that will be revealed when the Lord comes. And under the old covenant, the presence of the Spirit was among, not in the people of Israel. I think it was there among Israel like a canteen of water. But it was not in them except a few, a remnant. Under the new covenant, the Spirit, I say, indwells all members of the body of Christ in fullness like rivers of living water. Under the new covenant, the presence and power of the Spirit is a constant residing permanently in all those in Christ. He doesn't, the Spirit doesn't come and go. In the Old Testament, he did in a lot of cases. Now, let me ask a question. You hear this language a lot. What is the fullness of the Spirit? What does that mean? It means two things. Not necessarily in this order. Flip the order if you want to. One, you and I are filled with the Spirit in this sense when we are empowered or enabled to perform some particular service. You've, uh, we'll take some of the most obvious. Let's just take music. The Old Testament had these musicians. Well, somebody is born again and they've got a great gift of song, a great voice. Well, we hear people sing. They sing. No particular effect. They're not bad or anything like that. We don't mean they're insincere. But then here comes one Oh, my gosh. They lift you out of their seat. They sing in the fullness of the Spirit. Well, it's things like that. You see a Sunday school teacher with kids. I've seen them over my years. And kids are changed under the influence of those teachers. Have you heard the Spirit... Have you heard the story of D.L. Moody? I assume most of you know it. One of the great evangelists. Not in our times, a little back of most of us. <laughs> and a Sunday school teacher said one morning, said, nobody will ever know, as a shoe salesman, nobody will ever know what God can do with one person fully committed to him. One little boy heard those words. I mean, heard those words. His name was D.L. Moody. He was the greatest thing before Billy Graham. He was in the time of Spurgeon. He heard those words and he said, I'll be that man. That one spirit-filled Sunday school teacher My dad had a class of fifth grade boys. I was one of them. And 
in time, nearly every one of those boys became a Christian, a believer, some I never thought would. There are gifts out there you never know. And God will use you for some special purpose. The second meaning of the fullness of the Spirit, which is the more general one, is the richness of communion with God. That richness includes the idea of intimacy. People may be said to be full of the Spirit, but not because they're doing something dramatic by the power of the Spirit, but they're experiencing the joy and the peace of their salvation in rich measure. What is that? I don't know whether the guys have it up there or maybe I get Galatians. I had so many scriptures in this manuscript. Galatians 5, 16 through 24. Is there any chance that's up? It's not their fault. It's just we sometimes screw up. But Galatians, just a minute. My regular Bible, it just flops open. <laughs> you know where I, I want it. Oh, it's not good for you guys. You're really good. I love you. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. A Christian man or woman is full of the Spirit. When this happens, now the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. These two are in conflict, the flesh and the spirit with each other so that you're not able to do whatever you want. If you are led by the spirit, there's fullness of the spirit. You are not under the law. Go ahead. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this shall not inherit the kingdom of God you go to church, I go to Lake Bible Church, that's the way we live. Well, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You may be a member 17 times over. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is the fullness of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's what a born-again Christian filled with the Spirit... That's what they look like on Monday morning, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So if we say, well, that person's full of the Spirit, it means one of those two things. Now a question, we close with this. I said reality. But why does the richness or fullness of the Spirit at times not seem evident in our churches? Well, I'm going to try to explain that. 
One time I was speaking to the Navigators Canadian National Staff, and I was telling my brother, who at that time was the leader, I said, Alan, you've got a bunch of great guys here. He said, well, Jimmy, that's what the local church ought to look like. And I challenged him on that. I said, well, you guys can call them out. I said, in local church, we throw open the doors to the lame, the halt, the sick, and the blind, and everything else in between. So naturally, the landscape's not going to look the same. Here's the deal. A local church is not coextensive with the church, capital C, the body of Christ. In any given body, and I'm not the only one I've heard use this figure, sometimes more, sometimes less than 50% of any given congregation gives little evidence of being born again. I think that percentage is probably higher in this congregation, maybe a good deal higher. Am I biased? No, <laughs> I never would be. Thus, many churches are more like New Testament synagogues than New Testament churches, full of go-through-the-motion Jews whose religion was superficial. That's one reason. Dilutes the impression. Secondly, there's always a percentage of those in any congregation whose fire and joy is at low ebb. And why? because they're on a track where the Spirit of God is being grieved. Those fruits of the Spirit are not there, Ephesians 4.30. It's all right. And Hebrews 12.1, lay aside the sins which so easily beset us. Some are, you know, like some have COVID and some don't. Some have spiritual COVID, and they're not my dad used to say they're not flying right at any given time. So that can dampen the joy of their salvation. But normally, when they're right, it's there and it's beautiful when they see it. I remember a girl one time came to our church. She came from kind of a sketchy family. Anyway, she went away to school. She, when she had come through that door, she'd come in on Sunday morning, barely speak to me. Well, some are just shy. And some say, oh, gee, he's so ugly. I don't want to stay away from him. But, but sometimes you sense there's more to it. And she didn't want to get too close to me because I represented God. She wasn't very comfortable with God. She went away to a Christian school. She came back a year later. And you would have thought I was her mom or dad. She ran at me and embraced me like I was her long-lost friend. What happened? Her life changed. She got saved during the time she was at that school. And so I was a different person to her. I represented God. She was embracing Christ. I've seen that I can't tell you how many times. When people are right with God, they get right with you. That's the explanation, I believe, for all of that. You know, you have, I'm just a little bit over, but I want to finish this. G. 
Jesus says it's to your advantage that I go away. When Jesus was here on earth, you, you probably think, oh man, I would have loved to have been alive. When Jesus was here on earth and I could just walk with him, talk with him and say, Lord, what about this? What about that? Well, it's better now, Jesus says, because everywhere you go, waking or sleeping, his spirit resides in you. Anytime you want to ask a question, ask him. His spirit resides in you. Anytime you want to know what this means or that, ask him. Anytime you need his help, ask for it. His spirit resides in you. You can't go anywhere on the planet, North Pole, Antarctica, east or west or up or down, that he is not with you. When he was physically present, that was not the case. His spirit dwells in you. What a privilege. What a treasure. That can be yours. You're thirsty. You're empty. You don't know him. You are. Come and drink. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the teaching of the Lord Jesus in this passage for its encouragement. Encouragement to those whose lives are running on empty. We thank you for the privilege of the filling of your spirit, both in terms of power and in terms of communion. We rejoice in it. We pray the spirit will apply this to each and every heart according to the need. In his name we pray. Amen. buddy. Well, amen. We're going to close